2: Hi, my name is Nathan Hobson. I'm one of the hosts for the New Books in East Asian Studies podcast, a member of the New Books Network. Today, I'll be interviewing Dr. Erin Schoenfeld about her book Shirakaba and Japanese Modernism: Art Magazines, Artistic Collectives, and the Early Avant-Garde, which is out from Brill in 2018. Befitting an art history book, uh, Shirakaba and Japanese Modernism is a beautifully packaged uh, and fun to look at and handle uh, analysis of the early 20th century Japanese modern art collective Shirakawa and its eponymous Coterie Magazine, which was published from 1910 until 1923. Shirakaba, which means white birch, is recognized as the most significant art movement of the period, and had a lasting impact on the discourse and practice of art in modern Japan. The group's journal was among the first and most important Japanese art magazines to include the works of prominent European artists, and doing so shaped the contours of the art world of 20th century Japan, in addition to the group's own uh, contributions. Schoeneveld shows how Shirakaba rose in opposition to the statist art of the young Meiji state, the the strategies deployed to promote its artistic agenda, how the group established sometimes tangible and direct personal, artistic, and ideological connections to the European artists who represented the ideal of individualism, and how the movement changed over time from an avant-garde bastion to become central to the mainstream of the Japanese art scene in the early 1920s. In addition, the book reveals dynamic tensions between statism and Shirakaba's individualism, between the group's ethos of individualism and the realities of being collective, between being avant-garde and establishment, and between different generations of shirakaba artists themselves, as well as between virtual and physical exhibition spaces and the status of original versus reproduced art. Shirakaba and Japanese modernism is an important contribution not just to Japanese art history, but to rethinking the global spread, reception and adoption and adaptation of modernity and modernism. So, Dr. Schoenfeld, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Your book is about uh, the early 20th century art movement called Shirakaba. And I, I wanted to know how you got interested in this project.
1: Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. Um, right. So, I, I mean, I think initially what interested me was this idea of, of just pushing back against this idea of early 20th century Japanese artists being treated as this alternative to Western modernity, pecu- uh, particularly. As Japanese art and culture was was being characterized at the time as something spiritual, traditional, authentic, unchanging, and you know it was these these common tropes that were used to articulate Japan as a whole. Um, I think privileging a past in which pre-modern Japanese art and culture was treated as quote unquote authentic and important, whereas modern Japanese art and visual culture was viewed as as derivative. And it was sort of these attitudes that I was really interested in engaging with and pushing back against, um, especially within the context of the rise of, of modern Japanese art um, and the modern art establishment, um, and in the effort of artists trying to promote a new direction in Japanese art that engaged with modernist idioms of individualism and self-expression. And so it's sort of, you know, within that that context that I was really interested in the way in which an art magazine such as Shirakaba was really engaging with these questions um, and the ways in which artists and writers were coming together to um, negotiate that space to really carve out that space and then negotiate what it meant to be uh, within that space. Um, and so, yeah, I found that really compelling. Um, and it was also, I think partly the fact that most of the scholarship um focusing on Shirakaba is really f- focused on the um the literary components of of the magazine and the writers affiliated with the magazine um and the collective and i was more interested in learning about the artists and the artistic production that came out of um artists affiliation with the, with the magazine um and also certainly within at least within the study of modern japanese art and visual culture Shirakaba magazine holds a really seminal space, um, and I wanted an opportunity to explore that on a, on a deeper level. Um, it's mentioned in a number of uh, important uh, books, um, certainly scholarship on modern contemporary Japanese art, um, but I really wanted to engage with it on a deeper level.
2: Yeah, and, and so this is something that was originally a dissertation project, if I understand correctly, is that right?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, it, it, it grew out of, out of my, my dissertation research. Um, and, you know, certainly since, since then, um, I've expanded and developed it, but yeah, it, it began as a, um, as a product of, of my graduate research and, and actually, you know, sort of thinking back to that time, I, I had written a master's paper on Seto, uh, the blue stockings group, um, and it was sort of through them that I initially encountered Shirakaba, um, in their references and engagement with a lot of the artists and writers affiliated with Shirakaba. Um, and so, and the ways in which the SATO group and that, that magazine modeled a lot of the content, um, uh, after the Shirakaba magazine. And so it was sort of through that, that segue of the master's paper that I began, um, exploring Shirakaba, um, through the through the magazine and and the writers and artists affiliated with it,
2: yeah. So that's um, that actually is a really nice segue into the the one of the things that I wanted to ask you to sort of get started definitionally. Um, so Shirokaba is both the name of the art movement and the name of the eponymous art journal. Um, and as you've said, you you uh, initially seemed to have had more of an interest in the the artists, but the book really takes on um, both. Uh, the magazine in all of its materiality, even um, as well as sort of as an art manifesto, and um, but also the artists. Um, and can you tell us um, a little bit about what the, the name Shirakaba uh, means, why it was significant, why it was chosen?
1: Yeah, so Shirakaba, uh, the name means white birch. Um, and the artists and writers affiliated with the magazine and the group, the collective, we're very much engaged with um, Western literature um, and visual forms of expression, uh, and they—I think—they they viewed white birch as a, a this this Western icon of renewal, um, new beginnings, um, a symbol of um, sort of this icon of renewal of Tolstoyan humanism, of internationalism um, and the cult of the individual. And so I think within that space, they, they saw this as a name that, that reflected or, um, was emblematic of, of who they were and the direction they were moving in as a, as a collective.
2: And the, the magazine, um, can you tell us about, uh, the, the period in, the, in which the magazine was, uh, being produced, um, and, uh, its place a little bit within, um, what you describe in the book as a second wave of modernity in Japan. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the magazine, like uh, what it's, uh, when it's being produced, uh, when the movement is uh, you know, active, um, and then how they fit into these two waves of modernity?
1: Yeah, sure. So my book really considers how the avant-garde pursuit of individuality in early 20th century Japan was in opposition to state-sponsored modernism and how this played out among emerging technologies and formats, including the art magazine or the bijutsu zashi. Um, And so the group itself, the Shirakaba magazine, was really the brainchild of the literary and artistic collective, the Shirakaba um, group. And it was founded by a cohort of privileged writers and intellectuals, um, including Yanagi Soetsu, uh, Mushino Koji Sanayatsu, Shiga Naoya, Arishima Takeo, Satomi Tone, a number of, of, of writers. Um, and in launching Shirakawa, they really sought to use print media as a tool of intervention in an effort to recast current debates on the status of art and literature in Japan at the time. Um, and they accomplished this by resisting the accepted hierarchies of production and exhibition dictated by Japan's literary and art establishments that at the time sought to reinforce the cultural and political objectives of Japan's nation-building efforts during the Meiji period. Um, and so within this space, issues of modernity and the concept of the artist as revolutionary were publicly debated in the magazine's pages in the national press and in gallery exhibitions. Um, and by arguing that Shitakaba's collaborative artistic practice laid the foundation for the formation of future avant-garde groups, my book tries to, inter- or interrogates these, uh, Eurocentric narrative Japanese derivativeness by locating Shitakaba in its rightful place as a crucial inflection point in the evolution of Japan's early avant garde. But of course, that that raises the question of you know what what's happening in Japan at this time, um, and how do we think about um, or how do we talk about Japanese modernity um, during the moment in which the Shitakaba group is is actively engaged, um, and so. You know, that's something that is uh, important to define. Um, so, right. So the first wave, I think, of Japanese modernity has always been linked, I think, quite problematically with the West and with the introduction of Western culture that arrived um, to Japan. Um, and the first was during the later half of the 19th century. Uh, resulting in the nation's rejection of its feudal past and relatively isolationist policies. And so within this space, the rapid transformation um, of Japan, much of which was engaged with a process of of modeling itself after Western social structures and government, economics, education, um, the military, really shaped an uncomfortable relationship that equated modernization with Westernization. And so there was presumably a, a backlash to this cultural appropriation, um, which caused a push towards a social and political reforms that turned away from a reliance on Western models in search of something that was seen um, as more conveniently Japanese. And so within the second wave um, that became defined by this need to distance the nation, or for, for this need to be distanced from, I think, government, the government's visions of of the modern nation state, in favor of concerns relating to the individual. Um, And so within the space of the late Meiji and early Taisho, which is where I'm focused, a discourse on individualism emerges that really was seeking to redefine what it meant to be modern and independent of state ideology. Um, And so it was this aesthetic response that came in the form of a modernism um, that emphasized the use of art and literature to articulate a sense of self. And so it's sort of within this space that this brand of individualism adopted by the members of the Shirakaba group um, demanded a relentless search for newer, more relevant modes of artistic expression. Um, and I think this is the space really in which these artists and writers are working in and engaging with.
2: Yeah, thank you. That's, uh, that's very helpful to sort of frame overall uh, the, uh, where we're going today uh, in, in, the, in the interview. Um, so I wanted to, uh, before we jump into the individual chapters, um, and sort of thinking also about the the overall argument of of the book, um, I wanted to, to actually jump ahead to the appendix because your appendix, uh, which I found to be a you know, really, really useful uh, part of the book, is a translation of uh, a manifesto by Yanagi It's one of the art, um, authors you've mentioned, um, as a member of Shikaba. Um And I'd like to... Uh, read a brief quote from uh, this manifesto called The Revolutionary Artist," and ask you to sort of unpack this in terms of your central arguments um, in the book. So Yanagi wrote in 1912, art is thus the reflection of personality, and that reflection is precisely the expression of individuality. The authority of art is therefore the authority of individuality contained therein, and the power of individuality is communicated when the entire person is fulfilled. Great art was not born out of an empty being the genius of art is to make manifest the complete existence of life. So it's a, I, I thought that was really sort of um, exemplary of the whole tone of, of the manifesto. And I think to, to, to some extent the, the whole movement, I wonder if you could tell us how that fits into uh, your argument for the book.
1: I mean, I think what I'm trying to get at in, in that space is sort of with this, with the recent humanist turn and emphasis on global modernism, it's created a space where we can begin to acknowledge the work of Japanese artists, um, and I think the mutually yet complex exchanges across cultures that they were participating in. And so, uh, really, the way I think about this is this interest in engaging with transcultural dialogues and interactions that stimulated new and innovative forms of artistic production, and the ways in which Japanese artists were really interested in engaging with modernist idioms of individualism and self-expression. And for someone like Yanagi. You know, or sort of within the the, the space of the revolutionary artist, um, the real emphasis on the self with regard to the creation of art as a as, as an expression of um, of the person and not an expression of the nation state, um, and I think that really was a critical difference that um, you know sort of sort of separated the artists and writers affiliated with the Shirakaba group group from the previous iteration of artists um, and writers um, during the Meiji, particularly artists who are very much engaged with um, the development of visual art as a tool of nation building. Um, And so I think also the sort of this idea of the potential for the artist to be something um, that was beyond you know, sort of beyond the nation, but could engage with artists in a transnational space. Um, And, uh, you know, one in which I think there was this sort of engagement with the individual, but also with the collective. Um, And where, you know, a lot of this work was was developed out of, out of collaborative fluid and interconnected relationships with artists in Japan, as well as those within Europe. Um, And thinking for these artists really thinking about the ways in which to communicate that. Um, And, you know, this idea of, right, of this quote, great art was not born out of an empty being. Um, This idea that, right, that this, the originality or sort of this concept of originality is very much informed by a much more, Complicated process of um, sort of past, present, and future engagement with the work.
2: Yeah, so you um, you talk in the book about um, something that's uh, uh, you know the sort of uh, exemplar of uh, the sort of state centered art that the the uh, early modern you know the Meiji Japanese state was uh, trying to promote. Um, you talk about the Bunten, and I wonder if you could tell us uh, about that specifically because I think it helps. Uh, to frame um, what Yanagi and others are pushing back against, what Shirakaba is pushing back against um, in the movement and in the magazine.
1: Yeah. So um, the Bunten was es- essentially the Monbusho Bijutsu Tenrankai, um, which was um, essentially efforts by the Japanese government to organize um, a government-sponsored art exhibition. Um, and so it was established in 1907 with the idea, um, you know, for a national exhibition held annually annually, um, and conceived along the lines of the French Salon. Um, and so it was an immediate success in many ways. Um, it was with regard to just the, the way in which it created a level of access for artists and the public to engage with Uh, modern forms of art. Um, And it became a major cultural attraction that drew significant attention and interest from a broad cross section of of the Japanese public. Um, It was really the first official attempt in Japan to organize and control the exhibition of art through a centralized form of selection and display. And the focus was, was primarily on the preservation of existing artistic styles and the permanent installation of art as a means of national unity in society. And so Like the French Salon, um, after which it was modeled, the bunten made distinctions between fine arts, bijutsu, and crafts, or koge. And this articulation and elevation of fine arts played a decisive role in the division within the bunten of of three sections in which artists could submit their work to. And those three sections were nihonga, um, or Japanese-style painting, yoga, um, Western-style painting, and chokoku, or sculpture. And so it was really the Japanese government's privileging of specific forms of painting and sculpture in the Bunten's categories of of Nihonga, Yoga, and Chokoku that perpetuated or sort of established and then perpetuated the public's perception and definition of fine art. Um, But even by 1912, so this was held annually from 1907 up through 1918. um, By 1912, the definition of art or fine art was, you know, I think was still in flux, but now it was a question of technique and style rather than really the preferencing of material over another. Um, and so the academic paintings that characterized the work submitted to the Bunten were now being eclipsed by emerging aesthetics and art movements that were, um, you know, coming out of Europe and were being um, mediated through a magazine. The you know, a magazine like Shioda Kaba. So movements such as Post Impressionism, Fauvism, and Expressionism, that advocated a greater individuality in terms of style. Um, and so it was within this broader context, I think, that um, artists who were able to, well, Shirakaba artists affiliated with the, you know, with the magazine, with the group, but then other artists as well were able to to gain this level of exposure, began to rethink um, and rearticulate what it meant to be an artist and the ways in which they were using different, um, visual media to, to express themselves, you know, this, this, this sense of the modern self within that space.
2: Yeah. So you talked specifically, um, about Shirakaba as having a sort of four pronged strategy to, uh, push back against this statist art and push for their vision of a, a more individual, um, centered or founded art. Can you tell us about those four prongs of the strategy?
1: Yeah, sure. You know, right. So, I mean, there were many print magazines of this period, um, particularly art and literary magazines that were key in disseminating visual and textual expositions of the modern experience. Um, You know, what it meant to be an individual on a personal level, as a member of a, of a artistic or literary coll- collective, and then, you know, as an individual, um, of the Japanese nation. And so what sets the Shirakaba group and magazine apart, I think really as progenitors of Japan's early avant-garde was their development, right? As, as you asked me, or if you mentioned this tactical four-pronged strategy for articulating and participating in Japanese modernism, and so this strategy, I argue, not only amplified their voices in the face of marginalization, but also helped them gain a foothold in Japan's increasingly competitive art world. And it was profoundly collaborative, comprising of, one, founding an art magazine, um, two, establishing contact with living European artists such as Heinrich Vogler and August Rodin, who was perhaps the most, um, most famous um, artists that they, they engaged with. Um, disseminating the works and ideas of European modernism throughout Japan, and then finally uh, holding public exhibitions, in some cases in opposition um, to the bunten, uh, that deliberately sought to juxtapose the works of Japanese and European artists. And so individually, each of these methods created four distinct oppositional spaces, which permitted Japanese artists to negotiate what they felt it meant to be an individual on a personal level, as a member of an artistic collective, and as a citizen of the Japanese nation. Um, Yet collectively, this collaborative mode of association and artistic practice established a new um, model of praxis for the emerging avant-garde.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? you need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
2: Yeah, um, so that that's, uh, that's really helpful. And I think you, you've identified uh, also some of the tensions, not just um, between uh Shirakawa and sort of you know, state sponsored and uh stateist art but also um implicitly at least we've 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 touched on the what I saw as an interesting tension within Shirakawa uh between the collective and the individual um and you talk mostly about that in chapter 6 and at the risk of sort of skipping ahead to that I wonder if you could say a word or two about that as well
1: Sure um yeah the Shirakawa group viewed their cultural and creative practices surrounding the advancement of modern art and literature is, I, you know, it's very fluid and interconnected. Um, and they, you know, I think they, they viewed sort of the collective endeavor of the group in an effort to, um, move or platform their ideology and push their, their view forward, um, was very much collaborative. Yet at the same time within that space, Um, there was very much this emphasis on the cultivation of the self, of the individual. Um, And so, you know, I think one of the salient characteristics of the Shirokaba group was its advocation of individualism, um, which was predicated on the embrace and promotion of subjectivity and self-expression. And, you know, yet at the same time, this was being done collectively, right? So even though its members came together as a collective, each participant maintained his independence. Um, in what one of the founders, uh, Mushano Koji Sanayatsu, termed as you know, washi dozen, or sort of harmonious but not identical. Um, and so, you know, it was sort of within this space that the the bonds, uh, a friendship of of the sort of collegial bonds between the members of the Shira group was was really strong and enduring. I think sort of in, in theory, the avant-garde stance of the Shirakaba group and its magazine advocated art for art's sake, promoting ideas of individualism and self-expression in an effort to change, you know, sort of change the world through art and literature. And so the result was an avant-garde movement in early 20th century Japan that laid bare this very fluid, mobile, um, and most importantly, collaborative nature of mo- of, of the modern um by crossing multiple boundaries of, you know, artistic media, genre, language, geography, and culture in in order to reorient the trajectory of modern Japanese art. In practice, Shirakaba artists and writers developed, as I mentioned, this tactical strategy for articulating and participating in Japanese modernism that not only amplified their voices in the face of marginalization, but also helped them gain a foothold in Japan's increasingly um, competitive art world. And the strategy, as I mentioned, consisted of, of you know, founding a print magazine, establishing contact with living European artists, disseminating the works and ideas of European modernism throughout Japan, and holding public exhibitions that, that again, deliberately juxtaposed the works of Japanese and European artists. And so prim- by promoting the idea of collaboration, the Shirakaba Group and magazine brought Japanese and European artists, critics, intellectuals, and readers into conversation, and I think, into practice with one another. And so in doing so, the Shirakaba established a precedent by assisting Japanese artists to gain a foothold in the the emerging modern art world, encouraging them to come together as a collective, while at the same time maintaining their independence. And I think it's sort of the actions of the Shirakaba group This collaborative mode of association established a new model for the emerging avant-garde. It surrounded the notion of inclusivity, not exclusivity. And it highlighted and nurtured the permeable relationship between emerging forms of modern visual media, exhibition formats, and artistic production in early 20th century Japan.
2: Great. so in um, chapter one, you, uh, which is called the art magazine, um, as the title suggests, uh, you really focus in on the the, uh, the magazine Shuukaba itself, um, and we've we've discussed uh, some of what's in chapter one already in here. Um, is there anything you'd like to add uh, at this point um, from this chapter about the content, uh, the functions of the magazine, the importance of print media uh, like Shirakaba or Shirakaba itself in the art world of the time that we haven't already covered?
1: Sure. I'm going to just say a little bit about the format itself or sort of the, the, the impulse, what compelled the group to engage with print media. You know, I think the art magazine, one of its defining features. Um, is its reproducibility and serialization of visual content um, that's able to transform the passive consumption of art and ideas by its readership into a a dynamic and discursive space in which artists, writers, and intellectuals could engage with one another directly and without the temporal or physical constraints of the salon or art museum. And I think this was really compelling to the Shirakaba group. And as a material object, the art magazine presented readers with a range of new experiences that not only stimulated the senses, but also offered new modes of circulation and contact by creating a connection between artists, the work of art, and the viewer. And the dialogic nature of the art magazine also encouraged conversations, both national and international, on modern, modern art, and opened up an, an imagined utopian space. Um, by championing humanism and allowing Japanese artists and writers to explore and complicate the emerging avant-garde.
2: So then in uh, chapter two, you go on to talk um, about the engagement with uh, the European artists and this chapter called Conversations with European Modernism. Um you show you know how Kaba is engaging with artistic dialogue and also building some actual direct relationships, which you've already alluded to, with significant uh, contemporary European artists. Um, and I guess you know for for me personally, this was also one of these places where I felt this interesting tension between uh, the the sort of professed individualism and individuality of all the artists and their. Um, drive for for doing this in a collective format and also uh, being in dialogue uh, not just with each other but with European artists. Um, so how and why uh, in your mind is uh, Shirakaba associating with these European artists and which ones are they? I mean you you've, you've named a couple of them um, since do, do and, and I guess my my other question about this is do the artists dictate the predilection toward individualism? Um, in other words, the the artists that Shirakaba is is working with, or is it the individualism that chooses the artists?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I think the Shirakaba artists were um, really interested in developing um, relationships with certain European artists in an effort to advance their own views regarding the agency of artistic individualism and self-expression. And so I think part of it was them articulating or sort of Pinpointing in some ways artists that they felt best exemplified um, their own, um, you know, the goals of the group were sort of were emblematic of this this um, this sort of mode in which they were living, um, you know, this life of of individualism and self expression, um, and they were particularly, I think, drawn to um, artists such as Heinrich Vogler and August Rodin. As well as, you know, aligning themselves with art and the biographies of artists such as Cezanne, um, Van Gogh, and Gauguin, because it it offered them a key rhetorical strategy in the evolving discourse on modern Japanese art. Um, You know, that is to say the biography of the artist became the cornerstone of the Shirakaba movement in cultivating an artistic, an individual artistic identity. And so in many ways, they use the magazine as, as, as this conduit to facilitate access to and direct exchange of artwork and ideas between Japan and Europe, um, and between specific artists by forging a relationship with Heinrich Vogler and August Rodin, um, the Shirakaba artists were able to establish their movement on firmer ground, um, particularly with their, with the relationship that they had with Rodin. And then, you know, through the exhibition of artwork um, by Cezanne, Van Gogh, and Gauguin, um, and the translation of influ- influential Western writings by European art critics and theorists, assisted in actualizing um, Shirakaba ideology. And you know, the these artists Cezanne, Van Gogh, Gauguin, in many ways, even though deceased, ser- served posthumously as the Shirakaba group sort of spiritual mentors in terms of the ways in which they. The Shirakaba group viewed these artists' um, pursuit of of um, you know individualism, or sort of they sort of affiliated themselves with this sort of emerging form of of modernism that was centered around revolutionary aesthetics. And for, for these artists, you know, they really became um, a potent symbol um, to the Shirakaba group in their quest of artistic self expression during the early twentieth century. Um, and so their alignment with them, particularly their embrace of these artist biographies um, allowed them, I think, to promote new discourses um, on individualism, um, artistic self-expression, as well as, you know, to sort of that alignment with like-minded artists, writers, and intellectuals who shared, I think, similar attitudes about the modern experience. And as I mentioned, you know, the biography itself, was really important. Um, The the biography of the artist was really important to the Shirakaba movement in cultivating um, an individual artistic identity. And this, I think this strategic alignment with artists who they believe represented revolutionary aesthetics of individualism and artistic self-expression during early 20th century Japan assisted in concretizing the Shirakaba's ideology, which was really predicated on the lives and struggles of European artists who were representative of artistic singularity. So in effect, the members of the Shirakaba use the lives of European artists as a type of moral compass and their quest for humanity and selfhood within modern Japanese society. You know, so for example, with an artist like like Van Gogh, Shirakaba's the group's fascination with the biography of the artist um, and their their decision to translate Van Gogh's letters is really indicative of the group's engagement with anecdotes about the life of Van Gogh. You know, so for instance, the oft cited episode of Van Gogh severing his ear was understood by the members of the Shirakaba as the result of this, of a passionate incident, right? It it exemplified the degree to which the search for self was less a private affair, relying more on, on this attention seeking sensationalism. Um, You know, so, in other words, the cultivation of the self was in part associated with the creation of an artistic persona and a public image, as well as representing um, a challenge to the status quo. And I think the Shitakaba group believed that the qualities, you know, such as this, encap- um, or these qualities that encapsulated Van Gogh's life and his work, were something, um, you know, that they they aspire to as well. Um, and Van Gogh. And Embodied, what was seen as a revolutionary act of rejecting societal norms and expectations, um, in order to to seek a new path towards selfhood. Um, and so, the Shitakaba group interpreted the art and the personality of the artist as inseparable, um, and there was really no distinction between the personality of the artist as expressed through the media's inherent emotional aspects and the personality of the artist in the real world. And so, you know. Within the case of an artist like Rodin, his life and work also became a potent symbol in the pursuit of individualism that was grounded in the artist's personality. Um, and so, with Rodin, the Shirakaba group was able to establish, um, or sort of, through a connection with them, by by sending the artist um, a magazine um, that was dedicated to him on his 80th birthday, by sending him Japanese prints, ukiyo-e prints, um, and then receiving um in exchange um three small bronze sculptures from the artist, as well as letters back and forth this dialogue um he offered the group a link with the development of modern art beyond japan's shores and and Shirokawa was able i think really through that relationship able to establish secure a place in tokyo's modern art scene um You know their contact with Rodin established a new precedent for transnational dialogues and presages the activities of of other postwar art collectives such as the Gutai Group and their own attempts to establish contacts or exchanges with other artists and curators in Europe. And so I I think that again Rodin was perhaps even more important in molding the Shitakaba Group's ideological stance and its contact with him was arguably one of the most influential um, of all their exchanges with European artists. And that's, you know, they also had a dialogue with um, Heinrich Vogler as well, in which um, they sent him a book on Japanese gardens. He sent them, he was so flattered, and he wrote, um, wrote them a letter back expressing his acknowledgement of, of the influence of Japanese art in his own work, particularly ukiyo-e. And then also sent the group... Um, an etching of of a white birch um tree, which they reprinted as the cover of their of their magazine for I think from nineteen eleven to nineteen twelve.
2: Yeah, that um that dialogue with uh Vogler in particular um I thought was interesting. It 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 made me wonder um beyond you know Vogler himself and beyond uh the sort of acknowledgement that he gave of the influence of um, so-called traditional Japanese art, you know, ukiyo and that sort of thing. Um, What was, you know, so clearly Shirakaba is being influenced by uh, these, you know, uh, European modern artists. Um, Is 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 this a two-way street, right? Is is there, and I, I don't think you really talked about this in the book and forgive me if I missed it, if you did, but is this something where, um, the Europeans are really looking to that sort of traditional Japanese art um, for influence, but not so much the uh, the art of uh, you know, a collective like Shirakaba, um or is this kind of a, a two-way exchange in that sense as well?
1: Well, I think with regard, if we're thinking about an exchange on that level, I think what the Shirakaba group was able to do, especially with Rodin, was to create or carve out a space within Japan where his work could circulate, um, be exhibited. Um, and be exhibited in dialogue with modern Japanese art. Um, the Shitakabo Group was the first um, group to own and exhibit Rodin's work, um, and and certainly um, you know that of Vogler's as well. And I think through the the, the, the process of exhibiting or sort of the the practice of exhibition and display, and and creating these you know, alternate spaces outside of the bunten, outside of sort of standard channels of exhibition um, and artistic practice. Within that space, I think they were able to, you know, again, create these this discourse, this visual discourse with modern Japanese art and European art that um, was extremely important in terms of allowing A greater sense of exposure to European artists within Japan at the time. So I don't know if it was directly sort of influenced with regard to necessarily maybe technique or style, but I think more of um, signaling this transcultural dialogue and that this was sort of a a two way conversation, one in which um, the Shirakaba group had a lot of cultural capital and were able to create spaces um, for European artists um, for their work to to circulate and to engage with Japanese art during the, during the Taisho.
2: Yeah. So um, the, the next uh, chapter, which is chapter three, Shirakaba and modernism in Japan um, gets back toward the sort of uh, domestic context a a bit more. Um, And it centers on the so-called conventions of painting debate um, and uh, the, uh, manifesto by Yanagi Sohi. it's a revolutionary artist, which we addressed uh, in part in the beginning of the interview. Can you tell us about this uh, conventions of painting debate, um, why it was important in understanding um, Shirakaba in the Japanese art scene at the time, um, and then sort of how revolutionary artist, uh, Yanagi's revolutionary artist is, as you put it, the most codified and formal response to the debate um, and, and sort of what that means for understanding Shirakaba.
1: Sure. Um, right. So the conventions of painting debate represented, I think, this this back and forth, this um, compromise between the popularization of art and the ideology of arts for art's sake, you know, that the Shirakaba group valued and really thinking about the ways in which the sort of this this broader discourse around what, you know, the specific use of oil painting as a medium for self-expression, um, and so this this debate took place um, from late 1911 through early 1912, um, and it, it really, uh, within the pages, primarily within the pages of of the Shirakaba art magazine, and and the the back and forth was between Shirakaba artist Yamawaki Shin'toku, um, of course Shirakaba writer uh, mushino Koji Sanayatsu, who were arguing with. The public intellectual and art critic Kinoshi um again over this 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 idea of of the use of oil painting as a medium for self expression, um, and so I think what was really at stake here is this question between objectivity and subjectivity within the space of of painting and and Japanese oil painting used as as or excuse me oil painting used by Japanese artists as a as a mode of self expression. I mean I think you know, one important thing to keep in mind is, um, that a lot of Japanese artists were really plagued by this persistent sense of alterity that Japanese viewers or critics felt toward oil painting. Um, you know, many viewers of modern Japanese painting, or for many, it was, it was difficult to separate the foreignness of the medium with the content and style of the work that it produced. And this prevented, I think it's in some ways it's full integration into Japan. and so, you know, within that space, there was I think there was a lot of anxiety around the artistic relationship between tradition and innovation. Um, and so what was the role, right, of painting within society, particularly of, of oil painting? Um, and so this was debated um, by Yamawaki, who was very much um, for oil um, as a mode of expression, but also one where painting didn't necessarily have to um be a uh, a direct objective depiction of the world um, of the natural world that it could be used as a motive of self expression um, and this was something that of course Luciano uh, Koje also supported and argued versus kinoshimokutaro, who really believed that there had to be some sort of sort of rules to the ways in which the medium of oil was being used as as a means of of expression of of depicting of the natural world. Um, and so this debate went back and forth and really, um, the culmination of this debate resulted in Yanagi Soasu's, uh, manifesto, the revolutionary artist. Um, and so the revolutionary artist was really a, a rejoinder to Kinoshita's dismissal of the group, um, and his dismissal of their views regarding the medium of oil, um, the purpose of, of painting, um, and and so the, the manifesto which appeared in Shirakaba um, in early 1912 became the template, I think, really for sort of second generation or this next generation of artists who aspired to an artistic expression that valued individuality and emphasized subjectivity. Um, and the Shirakaba magazine's... Are, the group's brand of individualism was directly related to an interpretation of European modernism that engaged with revolutionary language and aesthetics. And Yanagi's text was inspired by uh, Charles Lewis Hines' The Post-Impressionists, which was a book written in defense of Roger Fy's exhibition Manet and the Post-Impressionists uh, at the Grafton Galleries in London from November 1910 to January 1911. And in Yanagi's essay, he espouses the revolutionary aesthetics of individuality, originality, and self-expression. Um, and Yanagi's concept of the revolutionary artist thus became a justification for rejecting state-sponsored modernism. Um, you know, for rejecting this sort of rules or you know conventions of painting, for adopting a mode of self-promotion that was in opposition to the Japanese art establishment, which I think you know Kinoshta uh, was very much advocating for. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I also encourage here is that in the past, there's been this tendency, I think, in scholarly literature to either ignore or isolate Yanagi's essay from the larger conversation around the changing status of modern Japanese painting. Um, and so in my book, I, I really try to, or I, I argue that the revolutionary artist should be seen as an intrinsic part of the conventions of painting debate, debate, and not just simply as a standalone text. Um, I think there's, there's been a lot written about the conventions of painting debate, um, by a number of scholars. Um, and most of the emphasis relates on, um, or the debate tends to focus on the role of the public or the audience in the development of a discourse on Japanese modern art. And so I'm trying to not only acknowledge that, but also suggest that we need to think about Yanagi's essays as very much an important part of that um, in terms of how that relates to this discussion between Kinoshita, Yamawaki, and Mushanokoji, again about the changing status of, of modern painting in Japan.
2: Great. Um, so, up till now, we've been talking uh, about the first generation of Shinokawa artists. Um and in chapter four, uh, Revolutionary Art, Revolutionary Artists, um, you look at the second generation uh of Shirakaba artists um and their struggle with uh the, the rhetoric of artistic singularity that was the uh sort of founding principle of Shirakaba. Um can you tell us about these artists um and the challenges that they faced in trying to bring Shirakaba into you know the sort of new phase of its existence?
1: Sure, yeah. So Uh, The model of the revolutionary artist formulated by Yanagi and the Shirakaba group represented a complicated relationship between the individual and the collective, which we've been talking about, particularly in relation to the development of artistic identity and the quest for originality during early 20th century Japan. And so the concept of the revolutionary artist in it inspired the work of this, the second generation of modern artists and, and Shirakaba affiliates, um, most notably, and these are the artists I discuss in my book, um, Takamura Kotaro, Umehara Rizaburo, and Kishiro Ryusei, um, in their quest to forge a new path in modern Japanese art. However, at the same time, um, these artists really struggled with this rhetoric of artistic singularity. Um, you know, and, and sort of what I call the burden of originality as revolutionary artists fell on the shoulders of, of Takamura, Umehara, and Kishida. Um, and so in their pursuit of new artistic styles, um, you know, that that valued individuality and stressed subjective expression, I analyzed the initial stages of these men's careers and examined the ways in which their work made not only made significant contributions to modern Japanese art. Um, but the ways in which they, I think they, they struggle to articulate and negotiate their own sense of subjective reality. Um, and, you know, I argue that Takamura, um, Umehara and Kishida selectively engaged with and transformed modernist idioms of artistic self-expression by incorporating both the foreign and the familiar, um, through concurrent processes of representation, adaptation, and preservation to construct a new modernism. Um, You know, I think these artists in many ways found themselves caught between two opposing desires of wanting to revolutionize their artistic practice in a similar vein to modernist movements and artists that they admired, such as the post-impressionists, while also maintaining and respecting their own cultural identity by not having their work become mere imitation. Um, And so the concept of artistic singularity promoted in Yanagi's rhetoric Proved a challenge for the second generation of, of modern Japanese artists um, working within the emerging avant garde milieu of the Taisho period. Um, you know, and sort of within this space, the notion of individualism was going, was really undergoing constant redefinition um, as artists, writers, you know, and intellectuals were continued to shape and reshape their image. Um, you know, so I argue that much of the work that came out of this, this nascent phase of their careers was part of a larger artistic evolution facilitated by the Shirakaba group but it, it it offered a means to an end but not an end in itself and i'm really interested in this chapter looking at this these sort of processes of of the ways in which these three artists work through and and develop their styles um you know and trying to so sort of work work amidst this sort of this tension as i said between um, respecting sort of their own cultural identity, engaging with modernist styles and and new media and modes of representation,
2: yeah, I found uh this also to be a really you know sort of fascinating chapter in in thinking about that um problem of you know not only being um, working you know against the sort of uh state sponsored stateist art art but also you know struggling with that uh legacy of your Uh, your own forebears in the movement and trying to, you know, in the, in the real spirit of individualism, which I think you've talked about as the spirit of Shidakaba trying to find their own way, get, they're already sort of in this defined movement. Um, And I I found this, yeah, I, I, I guess, I guess I, I mean to say that I found this chapter particularly, you know, sort of exemplary of that tension between, um, the individuality and individualism of the artist, uh, and the sort of realities of actually producing art in the real world. Um, in chapter five, though, uh, you take us to this sort of new and interesting uh, place, which is the, the chapter is from uh, the avant-garde to the institution, and here you argue that by around the end of World War One, uh, around. 1917 or so, Shirakaba has shifted its focus away from the magazine, uh, a virtual exhibition space into exhibitions in physical spaces. Um, And you connect this to the group's long-term mission to challenge the art establishment, which we've been talking about, and also its desire to institutionalize its own modern modernist art. Um, And finally, to the changing politics of representation vis-a-vis reproduction and original. Um, So, why is it that uh, Shirakaba makes this shift specifically away from the magazine and toward physical exhibitions? Um, and how does this affect the the movement um, and the art scene more generally?
1: Yeah. So For right. So up to this point in the book, I'm really I've really focused on. Or I talk about right, the importance of the magazine as a site of artistic production and exhibition um, that allowed the group or the group to define their artistic agenda and to disseminate their ideas Really, this sort of this dialogic space of the, of the art magazine, you know, the, for circulating and exhibiting and disseminating ideas. Um, ultimately though, they, they reach a point where they, the magazine format um, is viewed as, as being too ephemeral in nature um, and, you know, and therefore deemed insufficient for the long-term circulation and display of art so concurrent with the magazine's publication, the Chitacaba Group also organized 20 art exhibitions between 1910 and 1922. Um, and, that, and those exhibitions played a different role from the magazine by placing original works of art on public display alongside um, original works of art and reproduction by European artists. Um, and the Shitakawa also sponsored group and solo exhibitions of contemporary Japanese artists associated with the group, including the artists that I had mentioned earlier, Umeharu Izaburo um, and Kishiro Yusei. So, this, this transition to institutional exhibition practices really grew out of the group's evolving artistic ideology regarding style and accessibility, um, and providing a new outlet in the education of Jap- um, of the Japanese public about the future direction of modern art. So, the Shidakaba's group that really sort of, this is a period too, where they, there's this real emphasis on this need for, um, the importance of having original works of art, um, that the public can access, that they can engage with, that while the, um, reproductions within the magazine or even reproductions that are, were exhibited in their exhibitions were significant in creating initial contact, that long-term they, they needed, you know, uh, a space right a um um a space where they could exhibit and engage with um with art with modern art Um, you know that much like of course uh a museum of that was already you know the sort of the museum system that was already already well established at this point and so they um the group began a campaign to build a museum of Western art, and they viewed it as really a permanent institution open to the public with access to an education about world art and culture. And like I said, this was very similar already to the Meiji Taisho museum system that was well ensconced at this time. Um, and so while the Kama magazine and privately sponsored exhibitions created a foundation and point of departure for the promotion of new b- modes and styles of painting, the group really believed that the permanent structure of an art museum with original works of art um, would guarantee the continuation of of the Shirakaba ideology. Um, And so it's really within this context that I I analyzed the shift in the status of the reproduced image, which they relied on um, and was quite important to the group in the early years um, of of the magazine's publication. Um, So I analyzed the reproduced image and its relationship to the original work of art. And I, you know, I look at the notion of reproduction inherent in photography and printing, you know, both forms of which enable the Shirekaba, um magazine and, and the group to transform more traditional practices of exhibition and display um, become, you know, regarded as somewhat inferior to the original work of art. Um, and then within that context, too, looking at the ways in which the group, um works very closely with um or sort of they use the magazine and they use these exhibitions as a way to begin raising money um and developing or, or you know in an effort to build um a museum and also in an effort to acquire um european works of art um you know so by this point they had rodin's these small three bronze sculptures by rodin um and through their their sort of their affiliation with certain patrons um, they were able to purchase a painting by Cezanne, um, uh, a painting um, of Van Gogh's sunflowers, and a few more works of art that they intended to um, to house permanently in this Museum of Western Art that they were um, that they were um, planning to build. And you know, and this was sort of, I think, part of a much larger effort to enhance the public's understanding of the work. Um, on view. They also organized a number of symposia to educate people about um, Western art, musical performances of Western classical music, also ran concurrently with, um, you know, the, the, the exhibitions. A lot of their exhibitions were held um, at the same time that the Blinten, um was exhibiting, um, really in an effort to carve out, carve out alternative exhibition spaces and um, you know, in this sort of move towards envisioning their own, their own museum um, of Western art that really uh, was emblematic of sort of physically emblematic of their, their artistic ideology.
0: Yeah. And I think
2: this is, um, you know, this chapter is where uh, Shirakaba itself begins to think about um, its legacy, right. As a, as a movement, it's like it's sort of place in the, the history um of art in japan um, and that's a subject you deal with more uh in the final chapter uh which is again aptly titled the legacy of shirakaba um, and also i guess some of what i want to ask about touches on things you have in the epilogue as well um but in this final chapter and epilogue you address the legacy arguing that by again the time of world war one the group is really shifting its focus a lot um And, you know, you've talked about sort of how that plays out in the physical, like attempting to create a physical exhibition exhibition space um, at the time. But I wonder if you could tell us, uh, you know, sort of what the long term legacy of Shirakaba in the Japanese art world has been.
1: You know, certainly by 1916, the Shirakaba, um, the group and the magazine, the content of the the magazine um, have begun to move away from a focus on modern European art. Um, and I think, you know, the principal event driving this change was the tumultuous events of World War I from 1914 to 1918, which significantly eclipsed European artistic and cultural production. Um, so this hiatus and incoming European trends permitted Japanese artists and writers to take stock of their role um, within the modernist movement. And so... Um, Rather rather than than remaining at the forefront of the most recent international artistic trends, the shirakaba now turned to the task of establishing their legacy. And and this repositioning was, as I said, not not only reflected in the content of the magazine, um, but with this belief of this sort of focus on um, sort of placing more emphasis on educating the Japanese public about Western art. Um, And so the shift in focus was also, I think, partly... The result of the evolving status of of the members of the group. Um, certainly, by the late 1910s, um, they were no longer um, an obscure art or literary representatives of the early avant garde. But they've been many of them have been increasingly become accepted as the mainstream figures within Tokyo's artistic and literary circles. So, you know, core writers such as Musha no Koji, um, Shiga Naoya, Satomi Tone, for example they didn't necessarily need um, Shirokaba as a platform to air their opinions anymore. And um, they were able to contribute their work and circulate their work more widely and more mainstream commercial magazines. Um, And I think this, the dissolution too was also compounded by the fact that of course um, you know, the, the devastation of the great Kanto earthquake on September 1st, 1923, which brought the activities of the group to an abrupt and cataclysmic end and The group's publishing facility in Ginza was leveled and during the ensuing chaos, the funding to resume Shirakaba magazine and the the campaign to build the first museum of Western art um, evaporated. Um, And so, you know, you have you have figures such as also such as Yanagi Soetsu, who has certainly by this time already begun to rechannel his energies away from Shirakaba and Following a trip to Korea in 1916, he begins to develop his theories on Minge. Um, and I think in some cases and contexts, Yanagi is perhaps better known today for his involvement with the Minge movement um, than with his role um, with Shirakaba. Mushinokoji leaves Tokyo and he resettles in the mountains of Miyazaki Prefecture and establishes the, um, the utopian community Atarashiki Mura. Um, and certainly artists too, like Kishida and Umehara. Um, Kishida moves to Kyoto, begins studying more traditional Japanese um, arts and aesthetics, um, studying ukiyo-e and ink painting. Um, and Umehara, likewise is, you know, becomes more drawn to traditional Japanese arts and hanga. Um, and so, so that's sort of the space in which that you sort of see this this dissolution. But in spite of the fact that they don't, um, they don't necessarily have. Um, the sort of museum as as a means through which to establish their sort of concretize or s- establish their their legacy long term there was certainly um i think the legacy to which they offered um the you know sort of the democratization of ma- of materials within the evolving art scene um you know I think the ways in which they could advocate and exhibit Japanese and European artworks as well as progressive art theories and criticism um, you know, was the project of artists and writers who aspired to be more than just transmitters of European modernist movements and interpreters of European artists such as Cezanne, Van Gogh, and Rodin. Um, and I think ultimately they desired to become producers of modern art um, through the circulation of visual and textual expositions of the modern experience. Um, and I think we see that Particularly with the ways in which, even in the post-war period, the legacy of Shirakaba, I think, in some ways, is is you know is is channeled through a group such as Gutai, where um, the founder of the Gutai group, um, Yoshihara Jiro, um, was just a teenager during the t- the teens and and read so the nineteen tens and read um, Shirakaba magazine was very much inspired by the the ideology. Um, and the ideas coming out of the, the magazine um, and the content of, of the material. Um, and, you know, and in that ways, you know, I think for a lot of post-war artists modeled a mode of transnational dialogue, a mode of discourse, a mode of interaction, um, and it was extremely significant and pivotal, particularly in the post-war period when artists were, were attempting to rebuild and reconnect with, um, with the development of, of I think, post-war modernist movements, um, not just in Japan, but around the world.
2: Yeah. So I wanted to, um, on that note, thank you for being so generous with your time and ask if I could uh, borrow you for another couple minutes just to, to, to finish up here. Because um, our traditional last question on the podcast is, uh, what are you up to now? Uh, is there is there research that you're working on either that builds on uh, what's in the book or something new that you're working on. If you could tell us about, you know, either either that or a future project you have in mind, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, sure. Um so I'm I'm shifting to a much more contemporary moment. I mean I'm still very much, I think because of my interest in the reproducibility of media um, that that's inherent to the magazine um, and and also an interest in in Japanese cinema. Um I'm actually working on a project now on the the filmmaker Koase Naomi Um, and her work within more of a contemporary setting. And I'm really interested in the ways in which as, as a filmmaker, as an artist, as, you know, somewhat as, as an outsider, um, vis-a-vis Japan studio system or sort of mainstream, um, film establishment, she has become one of the most, um, well-known internationally well-known and renowned Japanese filmmakers. Um, she's. The director of the Tokyo 2020 um, official Olympic um, film. She's won a number of awards at Cannes um, for her 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 feature films. Um, she began as a, a documentary filmmaker and has transitioned um, to feature filmmaking, but all sort of working outside of the studio system as an independent filmmaker. And so, I'm really interested in the ways in which. Her work engages with this sort of slippage between documentary and narrative um, or sort of feature filmmaking. Um, I'm really interested in the ways in which she is one of the few uh, women filmmakers who has um, achieved so much success um, and the ways in which she engages with biography, um, personal history. She's from Nada. And so many of her films are, are, are produced, um, there, and so you know I'm thinking about this idea of cinema of place that she's articulating um, this interest in loss um and the sense of melancholy that pervades her work um so uh, yeah i'm 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 sort of moving in that direction but but still thinking about it within a transnational context, um particularly because of the way in which her work um the production of a lot of her films are, are joint productions. With either a French film studio and and her studio in Japan, um, how her work circulates mostly at international film festivals, and that was really how she became well known, sort of winning awards um, abroad, and then being accepted um, back in Japan. And so, sort of that tension between those two spaces and the role that that um, that international film festivals play in in the creation and production of of national cinema, um, you know, and this sort of conceptions of, of the auteur within that space. Um, and also too, I think her, she had a very compelling statement, um, after she won, um, an award at Cannes for her film, The Morning Forest, Mogari no Mori, um, saying that she was going to be the next, uh, um, after Kurosawa and Oshima, she was going to be the next um, sort of the most famous filmmaker um, in Japan of this era. So I think that alone, I, I found it so compelling. I, 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 had, to, I had to learn more um, and study more. And so, so that's what I'm doing now.
2: Yeah, great. I agree that uh, Akase is a a really fascinating figure. um, And I'm looking forward to uh, getting to read something about uh, her when it comes out. Um, But for now, I'd just like to thank you for, again, spending some time with us and talking about your book today. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you.